these comments are about social construction, uh, the topic of Moghanam's uh, final chapter. Uh, I hope that uh, by now you actually feel like, uh, even before you read the chapter, that you have a pretty fair understanding of the notion of social construction. We've used it uh, quite a few points uh, through the course. Uh, I want to begin by just uh, summarizing a, a couple of points that um, Moghanam makes about social construction. And uh, then I'm going to uh, read to you from a book by Vivian Burr called Social Constructionism. She covers much the same ground as uh, Mogadam does, but I think expresses it uh, quite well. First, uh, pay particular attention to the list that um, Mogadam gives on page 319 of the basic propositions of social constructionism. This summarizes very nicely uh, the basic ideas. And then in the uh, section that immediately follows from 319 through 322, in those uh, few pages, and Mogadam really gives the heart of the ideas. One important notion is that as a result of social construction, uh, the members of a society share interpretations of their social environment. The construction process is by the members of the society, but the construction process results in this shared interpretation in such a way that it feels natural, it feels normal, it feels real. Mogadam gives examples of um, caste system uh, in India, uh, certain social hierarchies in Iran, where he comes from uh, originally, which to an outsider would may feel very strange. Uh, somebody who lives within the culture, though, and doesn't know anything else, it feels absolutely natural, as though it has to be that way. This is the reality uh, of life in an almost biological, physical sense. And it's only when one steps outside of the culture and people sees people acting differently and sometimes feels people acting towards oneself differently, that one recognizes that these are actually constructions rather than necessities of uh, biology or physics. This feeling of reality or uh, natural leads Mogadam to use the term objectifications. It's like you turn these things, the construction is like an object, you objectify it. And I've used this notion before, the concept of a psychological object. An example would be uh, Freud's concept of the unconscious. Um, this is a social uh, construction, a, a theory that's been put forward, but people have worked with it and uh, thought about it, used it, and now it's like an object that's been built, the id, the ego, the superego. So we call this a psychological object, but it doesn't mean that this is the truth of human nature. It's a particular way of looking at it, and we could reconstruct uh, the object or construct it differently. I've talked, too, about the idea that psychology itself, the discipline of psychology, uh, is a construction. Uh, the discipline of psychology could be conceptualized as an object, the sort of thing you could hold in your hands and manipulate. The psychologists discussing among themselves come to conclusions, ideas about what the subject matter of psychology is, how it ought to be studied, and so forth. And in that context, they're engaging in a social construction. Social construction provides an alternative form of explanation to the cause and effect um, 
explanations that are given with a causal science. Um, Mogadam makes reference to uh, positivism, and uh, so does Burr in the sections that I'll uh, read to you later. Mogadam mentions uh, Auguste Comte, and uh, we talked about him uh, early on in the course. Uh, Benson uh, has a page uh, dealing with him, and positivism is page 33, and you might want to review that as you're reading what uh, Mogadam tells you about the relationship between social constructionism and positivism. In general, though, the social construction is on the normative science uh, side of things. Normative science looks to meaning systems uh, for explanations of behavior. You ask the question, why did somebody do a particular thing or why didn't they do a particular thing? We look to the interpretation that they've made of the situation, the meaning they assign to it. And those meanings uh, are typically socially constructed. Earlier on in the course, Mogadam talked, for instance, about carriers, uh, particular things or ideas which carry the whole of a meaning system along with them. The notion of a wedding ring, uh, for instance, stands as a symbol, but it also carries with it, when you see somebody wearing a wedding ring, it carries with it a whole set of meanings, values, uh, and beliefs that are socially constructed. They could be different, but members of the society have come to think about marriage in particular ways, and the wedding ring symbolizes or carries uh, all of those meanings. The social constructionist uh, idea, along with the normative uh, type of explanation, takes into account that humans have agency. It's not like the cause and effect ideas that look to biology and uh, or the behaviorists idea which ignores the agency uh, of humans, says that psychologists can proceed without uh, taking uh, any stance on agency. Rather, social construction says that people make decisions, people choose, uh, people debate, argue, um, and simply in their everyday talk come to understandings about the meanings of various activities, objects uh, in the society. So. Um, social constructionism uh, accepts and uses uh, human agency. Uh, with respect to predictability, there's a difference with uh, causal science. Because causal science looks for absolute uh, truth. It wants to be able to predict behavior, predict emotions, predict cognitions uh, with 100% accuracy to know exactly what will happen. Uh, Nobody, even in the causal sciences approach, believes that that uh, goal will be reached in the near future. But that is the goal, to understand the causes uh, in such a way that uh, we can lay out the mechanics of it at some point in the future when we have all of the information and be able to make absolutely certain predictions. The social constructionists say this is not uh, possible. Um, the norms of behavior will never be fully uh, uh, able to be used to, to predict with 100%. Uh, Mogadam gives the example of a traffic light. Most people do, in fact, stop at the red light, but the red light doesn't cause the stopping in the way that uh, gravity causes uh, objects to fall when you let go of them. It's highly predictable that people will stop at a traffic light when it turns red, 
but it's not absolutely uh, always the case. Uh, there are people under a variety of circumstances who will not stop uh, at the light, and it's not predictable. Uh, their agency, they've decided not to do it for one reason or another. It may have to do with other norms, uh, the urgency to get somebody to the hospital, for instance. But uh, from a normative science point of view, uh, behavior is not 100% uh, predictable. Mogadam talks about uh, relationships between social construction and a couple of other characteristics of psychology, traditional psychology that we've looked at, uh, reductionism. Reductionism typically refers to a biological reductionism, and social construction is not a biological uh, reductionist enterprise. Um, in the way that Mogadam uses the term reductionism, when he first introduced it, uh, by reductionism he means any kind of uh, explanation. And so if you were going to call social constructionism reductionist, you would say that it reduces uh, behavior uh, to norms. But most people wouldn't, uh, uh, wouldn't use the term reductionism for that, but instead would say that you have causal science that takes a biological reductionist or mechanical uh, reductionist approach, and normative science, uh, which operates in terms of interpretations and meanings and agency. Uh, another characteristic of uh, traditional psychology is individualism. Uh, explanations of behavior are seen to be uh, within uh, the individual. We've talked several times how this bias uh, individualistic bias in psychology uh, leads psychologists to miss the importance of uh, social factors. Again, uh, two examples that we've had of this Cosgrove and Flynn with respect to homelessness, uh, looking at systemic factors uh, in the uh, culture of uh, the homeless women that account for uh, many of the problems that they have. Uh, Dixon and his colleagues uh, studying the contact hypothesis talk about um, a number of contextual factors uh, that go beyond uh, racism within a particular individual to account for the prejudices that we sometimes observe. Cosgrove and Flynn, Dixon, uh, both point to the ways in which within the society, the cultural dialogue, the discussion that takes place uh, within the society makes a meaning, makes meaning about homelessness, makes meanings about uh, particular racial uh, groups, and people act in accordance with uh, these norms that have been uh, created within their particular culture or subculture. Uh, both Cosgrove and Flynn, Dixon in particular, uh, suggest that we should pay more attention to studying the collective process of meaning-making. How is it that people come together and, and create these ideas? Uh, I've mentioned a couple of times, it's not committee meetings. It's not like people get together and say, okay, how are we going to think about uh, this particular racial group? Or how will we think about uh, homeless uh, women? Let's talk about it. Uh, it's very rare to have that kind of discussion. But you have this going on within the culture generally in many individual conversations here and there, but particularly in the media. Today, uh, we, have, uh, we see instances of behaviors in film. Uh, we read stories, uh, we uh, hear the news, and so forth. 
And these are all aspects of the collective meaning-making process, the discourse, uh, one might say. And Mogadam points out to the fact that for social constructionists, the study of discourse is particularly important, and he has a lot to say about language uh, in general. I've given you a link here to uh, just an interesting uh, article that shows that psychologists are not immune to this process of uh, sharing meaning, and that uh, sometimes they get it wrong. Uh, the article deals with um, descriptions in textbooks uh, over the years of uh, some classic studies in psychology, and the ways in which psychologists often report the results of these studies erroneously. The idea here is that there's a kind of uh, shared uh, meaning-making process that goes on outside of uh, any particular individual. The reports of the result, the reports of the studies exist in uh, the journal articles. People read those, but they talk about them. And as they talk about them, gradually changes take place uh, in the way that these are uh, conceptualized. And the result can be that if one doesn't go back and check their facts carefully, uh, they can wind up reporting uh, this idea that's uh, gradually developed outside of the original text. Well, this is something of the same process that's taking, out, taking place on a larger scale uh, with respect to social construction in general around uh, race, uh, gender relations, any of the topics that we've talked about uh, in the course. The difference is that in the reporting of a particular study, uh, there is an actual report uh, that's accurate and uh, could be gone back to and taken as a basis for comparison. But when we talk about gender relations, race relations, uh, these other topics, social constructionism uh, engages in this relativism. It says there is no base, there is no foundation or place where we can check it, that we can check against. This is an idea that's present in the causal science. That there is a truth to be found. This is a central tenet of uh, positivism. Social constructionism rejects that and says, well, in fact, gender relations or race relations could be constructed in a wide variety of ways, and none of them is true or false. Uh, you may recall that early on in the course I talked about uh, an alternative uh, formulation to speak in terms of utility. What are the consequences of conceptualizing gender relations in a particular way? Are some of them more useful than others? Of course, that raises the question of useful to what end? And uh, I've mentioned several times that many of the authors that we've dealt with uh, choose the end of social justice. They say, well, if our goal is social justice, then what conception of gender relations or race relations or prejudices and so forth uh, would be most useful for achieving uh, that state of social justice? Another aspect of saying that the, there is no particular truth uh, to be found is to say that uh, social constructionists are not looking for universals. They uh, are very aware of the idea, suggest the idea that often uh, a conception is local uh, in nature. Again, gender relations uh, could be conceptualized one way in one place, conceptualized quite differently uh, in another place or in another period of time. Uh, so looking for universals, a goal of the causal science uh, approach, 
is not uh, necessarily the case with the normative science approach, because the norms themselves, or the interpretations that people make, are not universal in nature. Now, just uh, because I thought it's an interesting uh, tape, I've um, linked you to uh, Malcolm Gladwell's uh, video, his TED talk on uh, spaghetti sauces. Uh, I used this earlier in my comments on Haidt's Pursuit of Happiness, where he was talking about whether it makes people happier to have more choices or uh, fewer choices. But I've put it uh, reference to it again here because part of what Gladwell is getting at is that uh, a search for a universal uh, is sometimes problematic. Well, as I've been talking uh, here in these initial comments, uh, I've been trying to make a few connections back to material that uh, we've discussed earlier. But I encourage you, uh, as you're reviewing the material, uh, to go back and try to note the points at which we've contrasted causal science and normative science, at which we've contrasted um, so the causal science explanations and the social constructionist uh, ideas. There are many places in the various chapters, but I'll leave to you to do that uh, as an exercise. Uh, I'm going to comment, I'm going now to read some material uh, from uh, Vivian Burr, uh, her book on social constructionism. I've actually recorded this earlier, and I'm just going to tag it on uh, to this. And I apologize, it ends rather abruptly uh, at the end, but uh, really I've put uh, the, the comments that I wanted to make uh, here, so I'll, I'll leave it at that. Except to say that the Burr book, uh, the whole of it, is available uh, online through the York Library, and I've put a note at the end of the outline about uh, how you can gain access to that. Uh, I know that uh, following the quotes as I read them uh, can be a bit more difficult than when I speak in the sort of conversational voice. So if you find it helpful to be able to see uh, what it is that I'm reading, then I encourage you to uh, have a look at the, the book chapter. I'm going to read uh, material from the first 10 pages or so of the second edition of Vivian Burr's book, Social Constructionism, uh, published by Rutledge. Social constructionism is a term that is used almost exclusively by psychologists. Many of its basic assumptions are actually fundamental to one of its disciplinary cousins, sociology. And it's a measure of the unhelpful separation of the disciplines of sociology and psychology that psychologists are only just discovering social constructionist ideas. There's no one feature which could be said to identify a social constructionist position. Instead, we might loosely think of, as, think of as social constructionist any approach which has as its foundation one or more of the following key assumptions taken from Gergen. You might think of these as something like things you would absolutely have to believe in in order to be a social constructionist. Okay, so the first of these assumptions is a critical stance is taken toward taken-for-granted knowledge. Social constructionism insists that we take a critical stance towards our taken-for-granted ways of understanding the world, including ourselves. It invites us to be critical of the idea that our observations of the world unproblematically yield its nature to us, to challenge the view that conventional knowledge is based upon objective, unbiased observation of the world. 
It is therefore in opposition to what is referred to as positivism and empiricism in traditional science, the assumptions that the nature of the world can be revealed by observation and that what exists is what we perceive to exist. Social constructionism cautions us to be ever suspicious of our assumptions about how the world appears to be. This means that the categories with which we as human beings apprehend the world do not necessarily refer to real divisions. For example, just because we think of some music as classical and some as pop does not mean we should assume that there is anything in the nature of the music itself that means it has to be divided up in that particular way. A more radical example is that of gender and sex. Our observations of the world suggest to us that there are two categories of human being, men and women. Social constructionism bids us to seriously question whether the categories man and woman are simply a reflection of naturally occurring distinct types of human being. This may seem a bizarre idea at first, and of course differences in reproductive organs are present in many species. But we become aware of the grayness of such categories when we look at practices such as gender reassignment surgery and the surrounding debate about how to classify people as unambiguously male or female. We can thus begin to understand that these seemingly natural categories may be inevitably bound up with gender, the normative prescriptions of masculinity and femininity in a culture, so that, that, whole, so that whole categories of personhood, that is, all the things it means to be a man or a woman, have been built upon them. Social constructionism would suggest that we might equally well, and just as absurdly, have divided people up into tall and short, or those with earlobes and those without. Social constructionism's critical stance is particularly adopted toward mainstream psychology and social psychology, generating radically different accounts of many psychological and social phenomena. All right, a second uh, tenet of social constructionism uh, is historical and cultural specificity. The ways in which we commonly understand the world, the categories and concepts we use, are historically and culturally specific. Whether one understands the world in terms of men and women, pop music and classical music, urban life and rural life, past and future, etc., depends upon where and when in the world one lives. For example, the notion of childhood has undergone tremendous change over the centuries. What it has been thought natural for children to do has changed, as well as what parents were expected to do for their children. It is only in relatively recent historical times that children have ceased to be simply small adults in all but their legal rights. And we only have to look as far back as the writings of Dickens to remind ourselves that the idea of children as innocents in need of adult protection is a very recent one indeed. We can see changes even within the time span of the last 50 years or so, with radical consequences for how parents are advised to bring up their children. This means that all ways of understanding are historically and culturally relative. Notice that term, cultural, culturally relative. Uh, Moganum talks about this concern with cultural relativism. So, repeating, this means that all ways of understanding are historically and culturally relative. Not only are they specific to particular cultures and periods of history, they are seen as products of that culture and history and are dependent upon the particular social and economic arrangements prevailing in that culture at that time. The particular forms of knowledge, 
that abound in any culture are therefore artifacts of it, and we should not assume that our ways of understanding are necessarily any better in terms of being any nearer the truth than other ways. And notice the term artifacts. Similar, an artifact is an object. We talked about psychological objects, saying that the particular forms of knowledge that abound in any culture, like the culture of psychology, for instance, are therefore artifacts of it, or objects, psychological objects. And we can't assume that things have to be that way, uh, or that they're even necessarily better ways than might uh, otherwise occur. A third assumption shared by uh, social constructionists is that knowledge is sustained by social processes. If our knowledge of the world, <clears throat> our common ways of understanding it, is not derived from the nature of the world as it really is, where does it come from? The social constructionist answer is that people construct it between them. It is through the daily interactions between people in the course of social life that our versions of knowledge become fabricated. Therefore, social interaction of all kinds, and particularly language, is of great interest to social constructionists. The goings-on between people in the course of their everyday lives are seen as the practices during which our shared versions of knowledge are constructed. For example, what we understand as dyslexia is a phenomenon that has come into being through the exchanges between those who have difficulties with reading and writing and others who may teach them or offer them diagnostic tests. Therefore, what we regard as truth, which of course varies historically and cross-culturally, may be thought of as our current accepted ways of understanding the world. These are a product not of objective observation of the world, but of the social processes and interactions in which people are constantly engaged with each other. A fourth uh, tenet of uh, social constructionism, knowledge and social action go together. These negotiated understandings could take a wide variety of different forms, and we can therefore talk of numerous possible social constructions of the world. But each, but each different construction also brings with it or invites a different kind of action from human beings. For example, before the temperance movement, drunks were seen as entirely responsible for their behavior and therefore blameworthy. A typical response was therefore imprisonment. However, there's been a move away from seeing drunkenness as a crime towards thinking of it as a sickness, a kind of addiction. The alcoholic is not seen as totally responsible for their behavior, since they are the victims of a kind of drug addiction. The social action appropriate to understanding drunkenness in this way is to offer medical and psychological treatment, not imprisonment. Descriptions or constructions of the world therefore sustain some patterns of social action and exclude others. Our constructions of the world are therefore bound up with power relations because they have implications for what it is permissible for different people to do and for how they may treat others. Notice we talked about the importance of power uh, relations also uh, with respect to language and social construction. The same idea here, that if we have different uh, ideas of... Um, if we have different ideas of... Um, what constitutes the knowledge, the different ideas of drunkenness, uh, for example, uh, and different actions follow from that. And so who makes the decision uh, about these views makes a difference uh, then in, in the various kinds of actions that could take place.
Uh, now I'm just going to give a couple of things from the following pages. Uh, Burr asked the question, how is social constructionism different from traditional uh, psychology? And gives a number of different ways, which I won't uh, elaborate on, but just give you some basic ideas. Uh, one is uh, anti-essentialism. says, since the social world, including ourselves as people, is the product of social processes, it follows that there cannot be any given determined nature to the world or people. There are no essences inside things or people that make them what they are. Um, another uh, aspect, questioning realism. Uh, she says, social constructionism denies that our knowledge is a direct perception of reality. That would be realism. Uh, in fact, it might be said that as a culture or a society, we construct our own versions of reality between us. Um, <clears throat> another, the historical and cultural specificity of knowledge. If all forms of knowledge are historically and culturally specific, this must include the knowledge generated by the social sciences. The theories and explanations of psychology thus become time and culture bound and cannot be taken as once and for all descriptions of human behavior. This is part of the universalism versus local or ideographic and nomothetic ideas are related to that. Um, another idea is language and its relationship to thought. Uh, this I'm going to read a little bit more extensively. Our ways of understanding the world do not come from objective reality, but from other people, both past and present. We are born into a world where the conceptual frameworks and categories used by the people in our culture already exist. We do not each conveniently happen to find existing categories of thought appropriate for the expression of our experiences. For example, if I say that I prefer to wear clothes that are fashionable rather than outdated, something I don't, by the way, but if I did, it is the concept of fashion that provides the basis for my experienced preference. Concepts and categories are acquired by each person as they develop the use of language and are thus reproduced every day by everyone who shares a culture and a language. This means that the way a person thinks, the very categories and concepts that provide a framework of meaning for them, are provided by the language that they use. Language, therefore, is a necessary precondition for thought as we know it. The relationship between thought and language has been the focus of a long-standing debate in psychology, with a number of different conceptualizations of this relationship being offered. A significant difference uh, exists, for example, between the positions adopted by Piaget and by Worf. Piaget believed that the child must develop concepts to some degree before verbal tags could be given to them. But Worf argued that a person's native language determines the way they think and perceive the world. Most of traditional psychology, at least, holds the tacit assumption that language is a more or less straightforward expression of thought rather than a precondition of it. And we can talk about language also then as a form of social action. Uh, it says, by placing center stage the everyday interactions between people and seeing these as actively producing the forms of knowledge we take for granted and their associated social phenomena, it follows that language too has to be more than simply a way of expressing ourselves. When people talk to each other, the world gets constructed. Our use of language can therefore be thought of as a form of action, and some social constructionists take this performative role of language as their focus of interest. 
As pointed out above, traditional psychology has typically regarded language as the passive vehicle for our thoughts and emotions. Social constructionism challenges this because language has practical consequences for people that should be acknowledged. For example, when a judge says, I sentence you to four years imprisonment, or when a priest says, I pronounce you man and wife, certain practical consequences, restrictions, and obligations ensue. And just a couple of additional things then associated with social constructionism uh, in comparison to traditional psychology. Uh, the interaction, uh, a focus on interaction in social constructionism. Traditional psychology looks for explanations of social phenomena inside the person. For example, by hypothesizing the existence of attitudes, motivations, cognitions, and so on. Uh, these entities are held to be responsible for what individual people do and say, as well as for wider social phenomena such as prejudice and delinquency. Sociology has traditionally countered this with the view that it is social structures such as the economy or the major institutions such as marriage and the family that give rise to the social phenomena that we see. Social constructionism regards as the proper focus of our inquiry the social practices engaged in by people and their interactions with each other. Uh, finally, an emphasis on process. Uh, while most traditional psychology and sociology has put forward explanation in terms of entities such as personality traits, economic structures, models of memory, and so on, the explanations offered by social constructionists are more often in terms of the dynamics of social interaction. <clears throat>